Welcome to the next episode of the Talent Ed podcast. Uh, today, I'm joined by two people for the first time. Uh, firstly, I'd like to introduce Melanie Punch, who is the head of UK careers at Investec. And uh, for the first time, a colleague of mine, I don't know if it's that way or that way, uh, Sophie Rigby, who heads up solution design for chapter two. So when we go into a lot of our clients, uh, Sophie's usually joining me to help me design the right talent solutions for the um, operations that we design for our customers. Uh, so welcome, guys. Hi. <laughs> um, today, what we're going to talk about is uh, different types of talent models. Um, I'm now, I'd say now not new, relatively new into the industry. You know, I've come from being a customer to being uh, a partner in this world. And um, we came in as chapter two being the sort of talent acquisition marketing guys that use advertising and marketing methodology to attract talent to in-house talent teams. And we build those talent teams. And um, what, we've, what we've noticed is, and what I've experienced is the breadth and number of different types of talent acquisition models that you know, are out there. You know, previously, I've kind of, um, I've, I've ring-fenced everything under 45,000 recruitment companies in the UK. But actually, if you take a, a next level look into that, there are so many different types of offerings um, uh, that you know, really are quite unique and aren't traditional, and some are still very traditional. And I think there's a, there are a number of really amazing businesses out there that are groundbreaking, um, and that's you know, the world that we're, we're pointing ourselves towards that are doing some really interesting things that are combining technology, um, that are building uh, teams in-house, that are uh, mobilizing teams globally. And what I wanted uh, us to talk about today is um, what different types of talent models work depending on what you're trying to do in your business. Because one thing I've definitely realized is one size does not certainly fit all when it comes to talent acquisition. and. Mm -hmm whether you're a startup, a scale-up, or an enterprise, um, you know, or even within those, uh, depending on your strategy, your, your, um, your talent acquisition models can, can differ hugely. So I, I want to kick off with a question to Mel, uh, if I may. Um, Mel, your background is extensive in this world, right? So prior to Investec, you were uh, head of talent at Tandem, and prior to that, you were head of resourcing at Barclay Card. Um, what I'd be interested to know is when you were sitting at your desk at Barclay Card running the resource team, what did talent acquisition and recruitment look like back then? And how does that compare to today, for example? Yeah, so I mean, I was at Barclay Card between 2013 and 2015. Um, Barclay Card recruitment team was the only in-house recruitment team within Barclays. All of the other Barclays teams were actually outsourced to uh, recruitment services or to RPOs. So there was um, there were a number, there were two different RPOs that were in that business. And I often found quite a lot of push and pull around. Well, do we should we be looking at that as well? But we were very protective of our brand. We really believed having an in-house recruitment team that really understood the brand, understood the business, very forward-thinking business was Barclay Card. Um, having an in-house brand, uh, in-house team to promote that brand was really important. And as long as we were making sure that we were delivering and it was about quality, not just quantity, actually the quality um, was really, really important. Quantity wise, the volumes were not huge volumes for Barclay Card Europe, uh, for the consumer side of the business. So it was really important that we were able to to deliver the quality. And we felt personally when we were at Barclay Card, we, we as a team agreed that actually an in-house solution was the right solution. Um, when I, I tend to find in, in bigger organization, when the cost pressures start to come in, that's when people start to think about outsourcing. And that's not necessarily going to necessarily get you the best value um, for your money. It also isn't necessarily going to get you the best quality. And you also have to think about the hiring manager experience or the experience of all those people that are interacting with your team and how they're going to feel about the change as well. So what, the whole time I was there, recruitment was, was managed in-house with an in-house recruitment team that, that I led. And what did, can you tell me a little bit about what that structure of the team looked like? And, and 
How, were there resources, talent acquisition partners? How did it look? And was were you plugged into an applicant tracking system? What was technology looking like you know, back then? Yeah, we, we had uh, Taleo, Oracle system, um, which was quite clunky at the time, if I'm honest. Um, I know that there's definitely been, since they moved to the cloud, there's definitely moved on the technology. Um, but I was really surprised when I went in in 2013, I was really surprised that, uh, how how each different recruiter had their own trackers. They weren't using the system because the system wasn't as reliable. Um, and trying to trying to just get a stand on how many roles have we actually got live at the moment? What's happening came in a sort of seven or eight different versions. So it's really important that we sort of standardised that and looked at how we could because we were reporting. There's a lot of reporting in Barclay Card right. reporting that sort of went off, and you you weren't quite sure where it went to, but uh, you certainly had wasn't what they wanted to see. Um, so I think it was well, the way that my team worked was I, I headed up the, the consumer side of the business. I had recruiters who were dedicated to different business areas who were business partnering. And then I had coordinators who would help set up interviews. We also had a recruiter who looked after the more exec end of recruitment as well. OK, brilliant. And so that, that was um, a bunch. Of, and you said there was also uh, RPOs that worked in that, that world. In other parts of Barclays, there were RPOs that were running recruitment. Yeah. In, in other parts of Barclays. How did, in your view, because... Um, I've got a, a belief in it. When you've got an in-house, when you've got an in-house team, um, it's uh, there's nothing better than really having a, a team of people that you know think, live, breathe your personal business values. Right? There's nothing. There's nothing more like an alignment of an in-house team um, that comes with its uh, issues sometimes on scalability. So something that you alluded to earlier that I think a lot of businesses are going to relate to is, you know, when there's um, cost-cutting measures. Um, no, I think with the latest coronavirus pandemic, um, a lot of businesses would have probably seen the in-house talent acquisition world um, quite significantly decrease. I mean, a lot of, we, we've always talked, and I've seen a lot of stuff on LinkedIn about recruiters finding it hard and recruiting businesses finding it hard. But actually, taking another lens on that to the in-house talent acquisition teams, if businesses aren't you know, acquiring talent, then you've got these talent acquisition guys who are just seen as a cost in the PL. They're going to be, you know, the first to go, frankly. So I'd imagine, you know, looking at, you know, some of the, you know, enterprises that in your colleagues and peers you might know in the industry, they, they might have lost a lot of their teams and hopefully they're looking to scale back up again. So how, how has that looked? How, is, how does like what you had back then compared to what you've seen today and how, you know, you've scaled the business through um, the pandemic? Um, so, I, I mean, I, I've gone through the similar challenge and had to make some really hard decisions last year where we had to reduce the number of heads within my, my own recruitment team, which was, which was incredibly difficult. Um, and, uh, and at the time we had a small uh, or a mini RPO who were on site who I also obviously had to, to let go. They were, they were supporting on the, on the tech side. And it is really hard um, to, to be able to have to make those decisions. I think what... What the tech RPO, having a tech RPO on site for me then allowed me to think about, well, actually, I have to have fewer conversations with my own internal team. Because actually what I made a conscious decision, probably not, not knowing there was a global pandemic, heaven forbid, but I made a conscious decision to build some flex into my team. And I think exactly right. Yeah. Right. So that I'm not having to business. Business numbers ebb and flow. Barclay Card was the same. Every six months we had a vacancy freeze. And the teams would get really involved in projects, but they weren't necessarily doing as much delivery. Um, and then when I came in in Investec as well, we've had a we've had roles where we've had huge volume all of a sudden. It's, it's sort of we don't have necessarily have vacancy freezes, but the numbers are quite hard to gauge sometimes. Yeah. And we had a significant need to to ramp up in technology, and rather than bring in a number of different. Uh, recruiters who could work for me in my team be fully embedded and part a permanent member of staff it actually made sense to bring in a scalable solution that allowed me to flex up and flex down and yeah. I, that was absolutely critical to me because actually it's fewer conversations that you have to have when the chips are really down um and you know that that is the joy and the beauty of 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 a solution like yours leo that allows you to flex up and flex down when you when you need to 
I think I think you you were massively ahead of the curve there because you know, <laughs> Sophie and I uh, have been talking to a number of companies and the main term that comes in when we're designing our client solutions is elasticity. We need elasticity. I think the biggest learning from the, the pandemic has been that companies that had their cost base here with, with a capacity that ebbs and flows um, lean into maybe freelance recruiters, they lean into contingency recruiters, or they lean into scalable solutions like ours. Uh, now that cost base has gone to that. Um, and and now there's an even bigger curve that they need to scale up and scale into. And it's really, really important. As, and I think I really respect what you've done because effectively that scalable solution protects your own people. And the people that have come in to serve your scalable solution are elastic. They know the gig they're in for. They know they can be working on your account one minute, but they could be stood down, then move on to another account next minute. That's fine. That's what they've signed up for. But yes. your, your guys are sitting there thinking, they're, they're protected and that's what you've done. You've created a, a, a dedicated team internally that is solid at the right level of demand that then scales up using a solution like, you know, chapter two offers, right, exactly. Absolutely, and I think it's, it's really important that you're kind of um, really embed that solution into your business, um, but that there's, there's enough sort of separation that they're not, that they don't go native. Yeah. And they're not, so they are, they're there. For me, when I brought in a solution, it was also looking at actually, can you help me with the resourcing, the um, sourcing and the pipelining in the background that the the day-to-day recruiters don't have time to do. They've got so many vacancies on at one time that they don't have the time to sit down and actually go and source candidates proactively. And trying to get a good TA function is about trying to get on the front foot of recruitment and anticipating the needs of the business and having pipelines of people ready. And so by bringing in a solution that allowed me to, to start to get on the front foot of that, also helped thinking about diversity. So starting to think about certain pipelines of, of um, diverse talent that we wanted to be able to bring into the business on a, a speculative basis, as well as reacting to a role. So, and I, I've gone through all of those, those pieces. I've brought in uh, individual contractors on a short-term basis and, there's there's pros and cons to to all of it right there's pros and cons to bringing in somebody on a permanent basis there's this risk that you know you you web and flow and you have to have conversations which is not what anybody wants in 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 their team um on the contractor side again if it's a short-term contractor it can be quite hard to get them up to speed in terms of the culture that you're you're working with there's the additional costs of um of licenses and and the infrastructure that goes with that in technology you've got all kinds of things stack overflow github etc that actually when you start adding up the cost on top of a contractor it's like wow it's this is this is this am i going to get a return for someone who could potentially only be here for six months so being able to bring in a flex model that comes with all of that infrastructure and that gives you a return on investment the other thing i looked at was well how much is it costing on an average for me to hire a tech tech person individual yeah and then how much will it cost me if I'm paying a retained fee to a, a third party resource company that can help me scale up and scale down, you know, wherever I need to. Yeah. It really, and it really paid out that um, for me that as, as long as there was a guarantee of so many hires per month, then actually we were saving money compared to what we were paying with agency fees. I think, I think that's something um, that people who choose to build their own in-house talent teams need to be aware of. Um, Sophie um, and I have been talking a lot about designing in-house talent teams. And Sophie, I don't know if you um, uh, want to share your thoughts, but we uh, we had a, a, you know, a point where it's very easy to cost an individual in, but then when you cost, oh, it's the licenses for that software, the licenses for the other software, the licenses for everything, and you put in all the overheads that currently sit in that, then you start thinking, well, the difference between what chapter two puts in, I can't speak of other, other you know, scalable solutions, but what we put forward actually, it makes it debatable because that difference, which is probably margin to be frank, because we have to, you know, companies have to earn money, that what they're buying is the ability to switch on, switch off. That's, that's, that's the trade-off, right? I'm going to trade a bit of margin and can I, you know, can I afford that bit of margin for my flexibility and the, to protect the core team that I've got? And that's the trade-off, I think. Yeah. I agree. And I think what we've seen is, is that definitely. And then when you partner that with the, um, the, the, the scalability of using um, someone outsourced, so you're not having to commit to that permanent 
uh, position or team within your own in-house solution it just kind of gives you the best of both really like you've got the flexibility as well um so yeah I think like Leo says a lot of the people that we've been speaking to recently um have maybe had that on on their minds anyway as a potential hybrid solution but I think um, what's happened over the last year has maybe been a bit of a catalyst to that too um because they've got to potentially think about different ways of working now so it's good to kind of just explore you know alternative options as well um so it's been interesting um and Mel obviously then you went on to uh to work for a, a very different type of organization so you're working for a, a startup a scale-up how did that sort of change um you know the structure how, how did that change your approach <laughs> So, yeah, so I, I left Barclay Card and, and took the plunge and went into startup. And I was the 15th employee that joined Tandem. Um, went in there to head up talent, which was, was everything to do with, with HR. And I think that, but, but the main driver when you're being brought in as a head of talent in a startup is about recruitment. You know, we need to get people in, we need to get the right people in and we need them now. Um, and there was a quite a heavy dependency in the company I went into around using particular agencies that we're working with. And, and it was sort of, there was, there was relationships with, with the founders in there that meant that these were the agencies that we worked with and they delivered enormously quality candidates. But from a cost perspective, actually, if I had my time again, I would probably look at bringing in a, um, a, a company that could scale up and scale down when I needed to, to support the recruitment there because there was sort of sat down. I remember sitting down the first few months or first, first few weeks and then into the first few months and just looking at the sheer volume of people that we had to hire across everything, your know, product, marketing, tech, um, everything that was going commercial. And so it was kind of how do we how best do I make sure that I'm delivering this and be mindful of the money that you're spending on traditional agency agencies. And then a traditional agency actually doesn't necessarily always get your brand or you know, when I joined the business, we didn't have a brand. We didn't have a name. We didn't have a, a, we didn't even have a, we didn't have a name. We didn't have a brand. We didn't have any presence. We didn't have a website. Um, so that there was, how do you get an agency to be able to sell that as well as me who, who really understood the concept and what we were trying to do. And so I think with hindsight, I would probably, if I think about the bumps in the road that I definitely encountered by working with different agencies across those different sectors, I think to actually have a team that would have been focused on it, I think it would have probably been more cost-effective in all honesty. Um, and I think it would have probably delivered quicker in terms of what we were looking for. We, we were able to deliver in you know, my time, two years that I was there, we scaled up to about 130 people. Um, but I think, I think thinking about it, I, had a, I brought in straight away, one of my first hives was bringing a recruiter to work alongside me. And then slowly over time, we brought in another recruiter to work in tech specifically. Um, but then as, as we were saying earlier, that then there's all the infrastructure costs that come with it. Yeah. And as an in-house recruiter, you're on the back foot of, or as an in-house recruitment team, you're on the back foot of, right, well, now I've got to make sure that I'm not spending more money on my in-house team as I would be if I was, if, if we were going out to agency. And that, you know, agency fees were, were quite expensive. So it was, wasn't likely that that was going to happen. But you have to be really mindful that you've not just got recruiters who are just managing agencies, that they're actually able to give value and, and bring in direct candidates. And that's, that's a really interesting point, right? Because I just want to like dwell on that for a minute. You've gone from this massive Barclay card world where like this infrastructure is there, like tech's probably there, like everything is around you and, and at your fingertips to this other next company, which is Tandem, which was uh, like, okay, it's just you, I'm just there. And now I've got to build everything that I've just had at my fingertips this whole time. So yeah, the sort of things that must've been on your mind. Cause we, we talked to a lot of scale up businesses, right? They recently received investment and, and, and the, the, the sort of myth that people think is just get a bum on a seat, get a LinkedIn recruiter license and crack on. It's not like that. That's not what you need. What you need is, what, and what these businesses need is an infrastructure. So you would have gone into this business and yes, there, as you said earlier, there are some immediate requirements. We need A, B, C, D higher, right? They're like the immediate fires to, to, to put out. And you would have probably, as you say, brought somebody in, get, get on with that. But what about the most important piece, which is the candidate experience, right? You know, when you bring these people in, they've got to have a sort of blueprint to move through the business. Um, and if they feel thrown around, that's a very poor, what I call a sales process. If I went into, I don't know, 
you know, Louis Vuitton and you wanted to buy something. So I, I always relate recruitment to sales and buying something, right? So you're going to Louis Vuitton something, you want to get looked after. You don't want to feel like you've just been thrown off. Or if I've just got my coffee here, I will get, there you go, Leah, have your coffee. You know, see you later. So the my point I'm trying to make is the infrastructure in the scale-ups in the business that you've got into is as important uh, as you know the ability to attract the talent because you can attract the talent but if they have a poor experience they're going to say this is not for me and you're going to lose the good talent through the process yeah and you can use technology to be much more effective and operationally effective in in delivering i mean i'm a huge focus um on employee and candidate experience and we used to do little touches like we'd take a cupcake into a room for a candidate and things like that but You've got to get them in the room before you can do that. And actually the experience starts as soon as they see a role or they're applying and, and they're applying to a company that they don't even know doesn't have a brand presence. It's quite hard to then be able to sort of reflect what does that experience look like? Yeah. And technology definitely enables that. Barclays, we had we had to lay a recruitment system. As I said, it was a bit clunky in places and not everybody used it. And uh, and I think every role I've ever been into, um, there's always been that kind of beating the drum of like, we really need to consist, be consistent in the way that we're using technology. Yeah. I joined uh, Investec where I am now. We also, um, we had a, a, we had to layer. Um, again, not everybody was using it. Uh, and we, we worked with layer to see if we could improve it and enhance it, but it's a slightly older version. Um, and we ended up putting in, in a new system, a new recruitment system in place. But, the, but we built that not from a cost perspective. We built that recruitment system based on recruiter experience, candidate experience and hiring manager experience and making sure that we had that focus exactly as you said. So you're, you're plotting through the story or the journey yeah. that, a, that a candidate is going through, but also you're plotting through the story, the journey that the recruiter is going through and that the hiring manager is going through. So it was about user experience as opposed to just having a system. When I was at Tandem, we didn't have a system to start with. So you've got sort of, I mean, it's pre-GDPR, thank goodness, but you had CVs flying around all over the place. You had spreadsheets with names on tracking it, trying to work out where you're at with different roles. We made things more complicated than they probably needed to be. Had we invested in a system or in a company that had, uh, in, a, in an infrastructure, so like you said, like bringing in a chapter two that has that infrastructure that comes with it, that can kind of manage all of that for you and know that it's, you know, you've got a good good process in place. Yeah. And and again, I think um, Sophie might be able to share some of her experience on this. Although Sophie's very new into this industry, but um, has had a fresh pair of eyes on this. And I think, um, I think you know, taking your tandem experience um, as an example, and a very similar example that we take when we go into scale-up businesses. When we talk to scale-ups and we talk to enterprises, they're very different conversations. Um, and people think it's just about, you know, is it, is it, it's what I want, the point I want to land is it's not as easy as just throwing a body in, giving them a LinkedIn recruiter license and get saying crack on. Just expecting them to go for it. If the client wanted that, I'd be like, go get a freelancer and do that and do it yourself because we're not going to value the process. The, the conversations when we, when we talk to like scale ups, it's about building them a talent acquisition infrastructure that when we walk away, it still stands up. Um, so our engagements with scale ups are generally like six months or a sprint of hires or nine months. Um, because what they really want is they've just taken a you know an injection of of capital. They they need they want to focus on outward on the business and they need a, an entity set up in their company. So what we'll generally do is we'll go in there and yes, we'll deal with the immediate requirements, but also we'll design uh, them uh, a talent acquisition department with all of the, sort of the pathways that the candidates will go through. Yeah, I agree. I think when we've been speaking to a lot of the um, scale ups and startups that they, like Leo said, they've, they've received um, this injection of cash and then they've got an end goal in terms of where they need to get to in their scaling journey. But, they may have some experience or they may have no experience in what it actually takes to get to that point. And, and obviously coming into um, a new industry and learning it and having a fresh pair of eyes on it. What I think a lot of people misunderstand, including myself was, you know, there's, there's a job at the end, but actually there's a huge candidate journey and experience to get to that point. And, and I think you said that now, like that's really important to you. And I think that really hit, hits the nail on the head that there's a lot to be done in that journey to get to that, to, to get to that higher. So 
um, yeah, that's been a, a, certainly a revelation for me and, and I can see the importance in it. And I think when you've got a big enterprise, they might be there or they might nearly be there, but certainly with the scale ups, it's, you know, they might, they might just be starting out on that journey. So um, that's where an external um, RPO or, or whatever it might be could come in to support with that. I, um, but then and that's, okay, that's on the scale up side, but then you take the enterprise and it's different, right? Because there is pretty much definitely going to be an infrastructure already in place. So it's yeah. about adapting to that infrastructure. So we'll go into a client's and they'll definitely be, you know, from the enterprise side, there'll be an ATS probably in place already. Okay, so we have to adopt that and manage that. Yeah. Um, there's an employee brand career site already set up. Um, there's probably a fairly robust in-house team that there already that we're there to support and scale up and down. So what, what our role is then to do is to provide that ability to take the weights off and be that pressure release valve uh, within the team, but immediately plug into well-established processes, but then offer recommendations for improvement. So exactly. One of the clients we're talking to at the moment, um, you know, they've got thousands of emails in their inbox. They're scaling really, really rapidly. They need a pressure release valve for us to go in, plug ourselves in and um, release the pressure release valve and then, you know, scale back down again. So we're very much mobilized to go in, sort it, you know, get out again. Um, and, and, and I think, I think in enterprise, sorry to interrupt. Oh, go, please go, yeah. In enterprise, there, there tends to be more of a need for, you know, there's a sudden peak or there's a sudden like there's a massive project and we need 30 people to be working on this project they need to have these particular skills and I know my team at the moment having we've got so many roles on now I know that my team would really be like my goodness how how are we going to cope with that like what, what can we do and um, we have a, a South African part of our business in, in Investec and so we will leverage the South Africa team where we need to to support some of the recruitment that we're doing uh, in the UK on a kind of like that flex basis but if South Africa were maxed out we would also have the same issue so it's really important to be able to bring in um I think you have you have a clearer view you have clear understanding of deliverables in an enterprise I think the in my own experience of of startup the demands can shift and change depending on the day of the week or yeah. what's happened or depending on the last investment round and so it's quite hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what you need in enterprise where there's a project or there's a specific need, and um, I think that's that's where where the, absolutely there's a lot of value to play. And actually, it's how I started my career in in house was that I moved into I came from a background in marketing, and then I moved into recruitment agency. Then I moved into a, an RPO called um, called Capital Consulting, which was bought out by AMS. And my first gig, if you like, was to be in the, the I think we're called the talent acquisition group. And we were kind of like the SWAT team that would go in and pick up where there were additional hires. My yeah. first was 36 credit controllers in Reading who spoke multiple languages. I mean, yeah. you know, I had no experience in that space, but the experience was having the bandwidth to focus on it and allow the team to do what they needed to do so that I could get on with that. And so that I've always been a fan of that kind of being able to flex up and down in the model. I want to, I want to flip into a, to a new area. Uh, and it's a, it's a direct question. Um, answer how, tell me I'm wrong or um, tell me um, uh, your response to this. But um, what, why does uh, recruitment have such a bad name? Why does it work? Why does recruitment have, or recruitment agencies have such a bad name? That's, I don't, you know. Because there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so it's a diluted market. And there are some really good recruitment agencies out there who I would, I, I, I actually not such fan of the word recruitment agency. So if I work with a recruitment agency, I deliberately call them my, a partner that we work with. Um, but there are also a lot that you don't have to be, it's not a regulated business recruitment, right? And you'll see there's lots and lots of companies that set up because they think the skill of recruitment is just knowing people in the market. Yeah. And so I think it dilutes it dilutes the proposition of, of the quality of a good recruitment partner. Yeah. And a good recruitment partner will really get under the skin of your business, understand your brand. I, I have to say, and one of the biggest challenges I found in Vestec is a good recruitment partner also respects the process of the in-house team. Um, for me, if I have, I, the one thing I don't want is to work with high maintenance recruitment partners who go and speak to managers and chase you know the feedback through managers when actually I've got a team that's managing that one of my biggest issues 
Um, and everywhere I've been has, be, has been that really in the sense that people pride themselves, or agencies would pride themselves on a, a relationship they have with a hiring manager and therefore they try and abuse that relationship, to get their candidates through quicker or undermine the process. So as the amount of time I've spent in my life giving feedback to agencies to try and remind them of what that process looks like. Yeah. And so I think in a way, when you're thinking like that, it's like, well, do I really want to be dealing and spending my days giving feedback to people who I really should trust to, to do what they need to do and respect the process? Or do I want to kind of have my own team focus on it? It's much easier for me and I have a better control of things if I've got my own recruitment team focusing on direct hiring and knowing how and we, we're also getting a, a lay of the land then you're getting a sense of how people are responding to a brief from Investec if it's Investec a brief from Investec about this particular role you're getting a sense of the market um, but that's not to say there are there aren't uh, there aren't good recruitment agencies out there or good recruitment partners out there there absolutely are but they there are a lot of them to to be able to find those those golden nuggets if you like yeah yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I had a bit of um, a realization recently. Um, so I've always been in the the, the business of um, uh, building and designing solutions for clients, whether it be in mm. the design agency or creative world or in the talent acquisition world. And um, so when I addressed this industry, I was all about going into the client and designing a solution that solves their problem, whether if you're you know, a larger enterprise, your problem is scalability or elasticity, and, and we design a solution that plugs in and scales up and scales down, can ebb and flow. Or if you're a scale up, you've got no infrastructure, you need a rapid response to come in, somebody who's done it before, bring their kit in, talk it in, design and build you something, and then mm. if you want them to move out uh, when you're done. Um, that's what I recognize. But I think the recruitment world is also like, layered with people that see talent as a product and and they'll say um oh i've got this candidate and like they're like, you know they take out their name and all that sort of stuff and they go, i've got this candidate they, they literally punt them around like a door to door i get it all the time leo oh, especially friday friday is business development day for the recruitment agency world and you just get specked in left right and center and if you don't respond they'll go to the well they've probably gone to the manager and they've gone to a lead and the amount of times i get just referrals from managers and leaders in my business saying, Mel, can you please deal with this? Or what should I say? And also the challenge is that actually sometimes those managers and agencies want, managers want to keep those relationships with the agencies for their own benefit in the future, right? Yeah. No doubt. So it's a, there's a fine sort of balance of how they have to deal with that. But it's, it is definitely, there's, I have given feedback to agencies who have just specced in saying, I, and I, I'm going to admit this, but it's saying that it, this is lazy recruitment. You don't know brief I've got right now you're sending me a CV and going this is a great such and such person and I'm going well I don't have a role for that person yeah. and yeah. I often go have you ever worked in-house <laughs> if, you, if you've worked in-house you know that you can't suddenly make up a headcount for people generally certainly not in an enterprise business um, unless unless there's, there's a real different skill that, that person's bringing and this person and this agency really understands your business but I think that's to the value that a an embedded um, or an aligned solution alongside your in-house team can do is they understand where there's opportunities for that. And therefore, if they do come across a great profile, but there isn't necessarily a role, they can, they know the manager or they'll know the team that can have that conversation around, well, look, this is a really good diverse profile of somebody that we think could bring something really different to that team. And, you know, that's why it's so important to make sure that any business that you have in terms of a um, a resource um, specialist is, is really able to understand what, what the drivers are for the business and the strategy for the business so that they can also start to think about it. And like you said earlier about challenging the process, I think it's also about challenging the, the, the type of person that you might want to bring into the, into the company. Wildcards are, are one of the best things in my mind. Um, and I'm not sure recruitment agencies do that. If I'm honest, recruitment agencies will tend to stick to the brief and the best recruitment agencies I work with are the ones that I say, put your neck on the line. If you think that CV isn't strong enough, but you've met them and you know the culture and you think that they're the right person for this team, then back yourself. Yeah. I expect of my, my own in-house team and any team that I bring in to, to complement that. I think, I think that is really why there, I, 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 I don't want to say that there is a rise in the amount of 
businesses that are now offering solutions similar you know to chapter two where they'll build in-house capabilities because um they they have that that um uh, understanding of the culture of the business and what better person to 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 project and market and sell because you know it's, i keep talking about it, so you know recruitment is marketing and sales role um sell that business somebody who lives and breathes inside that culture rather than someone who sits in a recruitment desk somewhere in a recruitment company and literally what they're doing you know as you said every friday they're spraying and praying cvs you know they're spraying it spray. it's very old school it's you know yeah. i worked in recruitment agency in 2003 2004 yeah we did the same and i didn't agree with the ethics of it then if i'm honest and i and i still don't and I just I find it you you sometimes speak so they'll often call on a on a Friday always a Friday they often call on a Friday and there's often a kind of oh I just want to understand you're the head of recruitment and I've got this CV and I'm like what what role is it and if you've never worked in house you clearly don't understand that this is this isn't something I can do right now and you actually can hear that there's a quality recruiter there yeah actually in a in a world where this is the expectation and. I just think that recruitment has, it, it needs to, I've always said for a long time, it needed to evolve. And I think it has evolved in the sense of, of having RPOs or uh, small companies and talent agencies that can come in and work with you to, to really help scale up what you need to do and give you that right focus without having to kind of work with lots and lots of recruitment agencies that are out there. Yeah, I, I, think, it's, I think it's the future. Um, I, I do, I do. I, and it needed to happen because for a very long time, it was just the same old processes and the same, and, the, and it's still, there are still some industries and, you know, I work in wealth and, and financial services and they can be a little bit old school in some places. There's still some instances where that, where that happens and that's, and, and I'm kind of like, no, I'm ahead of that. <laughs> I don't need that. Thank you. I think you've got kind of a filter to it now, the people that do that, you know, just literally don't even open the emails. I mean, I used to get it when I was, you know, running a large creative agency uh, I used to get the you know similar to the Friday emails and it literally would be an email from someone I hadn't recognized so it might I thought okay it might be a client or someone so you open the email next you know there's a candidate with like candidate hashtag 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 and then terms attached to it it's like this is one not building a relationship with me two just literally you know throwing throwing a dark blindfolded and um, it just it just you know isn't going to work I think what I, what I would say, I think, and I think that's the reason, one of the reasons why recruitment has a bad name. I think that that is, you know, some of the old school, it's almost like door to door. There's no skill, there's no skill to it. And there is skill no. to recruitment. But when you, when you debase it like that, there's no skill to it. I think, I think you're right. You know, Sophie and I had a recent uh, piece of work where we really had to, to apply skill. You know, we, we, um, we, we met with a potential client and, they, they presented us with a scalable issue. Um, and you could see they had a scalable issue. They had their in-house team, they need to scale. And we applied some real detailed thinking as to how we would help them solve their problem. We spent hours um, designing a solution, what type of roles, how they'd be applied. And then we, when we presented it back, it wasn't even a sales pitch. It's, here's how we, we think your problem, what your problem looks like. Mm-hmm. This is how we think you're planning to handle it. Here's how we can add value to that plan. You know, that's business development. You know, and and I, 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 you know, all companies need to do business development, right? And there are just different ways of doing it. There's the hard sell, which is you know the spray and pray CVs, which just people have got bullshit filters to them now, right? Just like the spam you get on your the Facebook, and and there's a strategic way, which is really understanding getting in, yeah, you know, un, yeah, you know, underneath the, the issue and and trying to solve your client's problem. Sophie spends, you know, you spend a lot of time on Crunchbase, don't you? Um, literally looking at all the scale-up businesses, the recent taking investment. And it would be simple for us. Sophie would make a call and say, here's, here's our latest hack on how to set up your own in-house talent team. And it's just offering value to that. They, they, might, they might use us, they might not use us, but we just give them value for a period of time. And hopefully, if they're using our products and our packs, then they might give us a call to help them scale up because, mm-hmm. you know, while, while they'll have the manual, they might want someone to do it for them. Yeah, and I think, like Mel said, using um, doing spray and pray CVs is not a solution, is it? That's the thing. It's not a solution at all. It's just doing doing a bit of work and hoping for the best. So I don't think from what we've experienced and and when we're talking to either scale up or enterprise um, type clients, I don't think that 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 kind of um, approach is going to work for either. You know, people now we need to really understand exactly what you need and how we need to be agile so that we can properly embed within your team. 
Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm quite shocked to be honest that that's still going on on a Friday. I, I'm <laughs> really surprised. That sounds are so old. Yes, sounds very dated. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and it just sometimes some of this stuff just doesn't evolve as quickly as you expect it to, and and how people still expect to get results that way is uh-huh. is beyond me really. But I think what was also quite nice about for me having a um, having my tech recruitment managed was that uh, actually when when I did get loads of agencies messaging and managers directly or myself directly it was a very quick I'm sorry no we don't even work with agencies anymore we've got a we've got an in-house solution and actually that really helped with managers because historically managers would come to you and go oh, well there's this agency and they've got this great candidate and I've just kind of gone on I've got I've kind of spoken to them and I'm going to set up an interview and you're like no please don't we haven't got preferred terms in place you know exposed us it let it really it really exposed us and actually you go back to the manager and go well no you've already invested in this solution so we've got to make this work <laughs> and yeah. it was a very quick conversation rather than the back and forth of why and why not which also takes up a lot of time and um, within within the in-house function you spend a lot of time having those conversations and, and talent acquisition is um as we've talked about a lot today broader than just hiring someone right and um it's even broader than building out the candidate experience. One of the things that we've experienced, and you know, our model leans very heavily into the, you know, the talent acquisition, talent advertising, marketing side of things, is when we go into these businesses, it's not just about actually the candidate. Once you've got the candidate in, that candidate engagement is about how you get them in, how they come and apply, because some businesses that we've worked with have got the most amazing brand. And as a talent acquisition business that we are, Chapter 2, I would turn around and say, actually, if we're going to go out to market, I would rather use your brand to do that rather than my brand because we will obviously do our own hunting and searching and stuff, but your brand is a lot bigger than our brand, fairly. You know, you have, you have 2,000 people globally. Um, you, you've been around for, you know, 10, 15 years longer than us. You've got this brand that's sitting there. People are aware of it. Um, I think, and, and for longevity... Um, we should be using your brand to to acquire the talent. So again, you know, recruitment goes beyond, uh, you know, talent acquisition goes beyond recruitment because also it's, it, it's the employer brand and content side of things that lures people in and brings them in and how you curate that content and have that, that audience and that relationship with people over a period of time that might not hire this month, next month, six months, they'll, but they'll be aware of you at that period they want to start looking and engaging with you they'll come you know, straight in through your front door, not our front door. And that, that makes, um, what I like is, I like to work with clients that buy us because we are on merit and we add value, not because we've got all these candidates here that you can't see, you know, and, and, and we're the value because we have the candidates in our database. That's, again, recruitment old school, talking about databases and stuff. I used to get pitched so many times, like we've got a 1.4 million database. We've got, you know, 300,000 people in our database. Like not being funny, that especially the rate people move and with GDPR that is aged within three months yeah. anyway you know I think I think if I was to bring in um or when I have brought in a company to work alongside my own team absolutely they are part of my my team you know they are they are they come to team meetings they are uh they are the brand and they need to one of the first things you've got to do is get them up to speed on what is the brand what's the difference what's the USP in terms of how you're selling Investec to any other bank or financial services business and and getting them to spend time there's, there's a bit of investment of time right you need to invest a bit of time in in them getting them to shadow calls with your current um, current team understand how you sell the brand every every company I've ever worked in has got a different way of, of pitching their brand and selling their brand and even in the use of language of, of how you address people or speak to people Vestec is fairly informal. We're very entrepreneurial. It's very important that we get that across at the first stage. Yeah. And so that's absolutely, as, an in, as, a, as a leader in in-house um, recruitment team, the first thing I want to do is really make sure that they understand that. They get, the, they, they get an Investec email address. They are an Investec recruiter, as far as I'm concerned. They're just scalable. Mm-hmm. So they may be there while I've got this particular project on, but then I might, and I might bring them back if there's another project, but it, but they're, they're there to do a role for me. But it's really important that they understand the environment, the context and the culture of where they're working. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about the different models. Um, so in summary, we, we um, there is a massive shift in 
what we term recruitment and talent acquisition. And there is uh, definitely a rise in um, scalable solutions that plug into you know, companies like you know, Investec and, and others. Um, I think there are, they have different specialisms. We are, we are, we are specialists in creating content and embedding our team mm. in um, uh, our, our clients to do talent acquisition and uh, create the content to increase the flow of people coming into the business. Um, but I think uh, I think that what I'm hoping to see, and it won't take, uh, and it won't be overnight, but over a period of time, recruitment will be seen as much more, as you put it, a partner than, or a talent acquisition partner. Maybe we won't use the term recruitment in 20 years time, 10 years time. It will be talent acquisition team. I'm bringing in a talent acquisition business or a talent acquisition consultancy. We don't talk, I mean, I've been told off before because, you know, Someone said, you are a recruiter. I'm like, yeah, no, but I don't want to be known as a recruiter. I'm like, we're a talent acquisition. And it's like, no, but you are a recruiter. Uh, Sophie's told me off many, many times about this. And I talk about RPO. Yeah, but I don't like RPO. It's just like, yeah, but you, that's what you do. I was like, I know, but I want to do it differently. But, yeah, and when you talk about marketing and Google searches, like, yeah, but no one's going to find us if you start talking about talent advertising because no one knows what the bloody hell that is, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what, what we're trying to do, we're, try, we're, we're trying to get a journey to, and it, it not really give recruitment a good name. We're trying to get a journey to involve talent acquisition or recruitment into talent acquisition because that's what we do. We want to, you know, we are genuinely embedding ourselves, uh, partnering with our clients, scaling our clients. And we know we are here for as long as the clients need us. And then um, they can, you know, switch us off if they don't have the demands anymore. But we know we're partners with them. So you might see them a lot, you know, just like, you know, your friends, you might see them a lot for a period of time, then you might not, not see them so much, you know. And that's what we, you know, what we, we try to do. And I think that's what businesses like ours are also trying to do. I think, I think as the talent acquisition industry evolves, uh, invest more in technology, uh, invest more in recognised, you know, candidate journey is important. Um, invest more in you know branding um you know the the whole sort of industry will sort of uh have a better name to it and i think i think the future i don't know what you think of this but i think the future is um it's not like recruitment or in-house it's kind of like this is something that's in between right yeah yeah absolutely i think it's a hybrid it's yeah. a hybrid to go forward and actually your point on content creation and, and the usb that chapter two have is something that I would have sapped your hand off for when I was at Tandem because that we didn't have anything and we were we yeah we had a good view of of what we were trying to get out to market but actually having experts in who would be able to help us execute on that would have been incredibly valuable to yeah. know how we were bringing people into the company and I think even in an enterprise even where I am now I could always do with more input and ideas on on how we actually adapt you get a bit stayed, you get a bit used to kind of how you your job adverts are or how you attract people or the videos online. And it would be great to have um, to have somebody who would take a look and a view at content creation with fresh eyes. And I think I think that's what you guys have got in terms of bringing to this industry is those fresh eyes. Yeah, thank you. We, we, we got I mean, we're gonna, there's going to be a case study coming out soon because we had a great example of that, because one thing I harp on about a lot is that it doesn't need to cost the earth right um and um there's a, a case study which we're doing one of our clients has scaled up in a particular area quite quickly and um they are doing um onboarding videos okay uh, and it's quite, onboarding videos is not new it's a standard thing right and um they were going to use fairly sort of budget level videographer and camera not probably not videographer and i said you're probably going to pay, you know, to, to get someone done. Why don't we get a videographer in, not just to do these videos, but actually while they're there, dramatize some propositions of some of the people you've hired and scaled up and their experiences and the brand and that sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, so that day you, you originally planned just to go, hi, we're onboarding you videos. We're like, we've got those onboarding videos and we've got all this other amazing content as to why people have come on board and the experience and the brand. So all of a sudden we've taken... The opportunity to do that into that and it's cost no more money to do it yeah. so um th th that's that's kind of like the, the lens that we bring i guess definitely and i think you, you hit the nail on the head because the the idea of an employee value proposition is the employee bit right yeah. it, what's the experience of somebody who is an employee in that company it's not what is it to to it's great to hear what the ceo's vision is and the view and and other senior people in the business. But what I want to know as an employee or a future employee or a candidate is what's it feel like to be an employee in your company? And I think that's, that's 
quite simple, but quite hard sometimes to execute on. So I think that's, it's a great way to, to look at it. I think I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a mission. I haven't seen one yet. I've seen some pretty good examples, but you know, when you think about career content and you think about career sites, I reckon, this is a bold statement, 95 to 99% of career sites are vanilla. I, 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 they don't excite me. And I always get asked the question by talent, people like yourself, Mel, who like go, they ask me a really blunt question. What do you think of our career site? And I'm like, oh man, um, how do I answer this politely? How, you know, is, if, if, if I'm too soft, is he going to think that I'm not bold enough? If yeah. I'm too hard, did he do it personally and I'm going to insult him? It's like, so like, or her, you know, um, I say him because there is, and it actually happened with a guy we spoke to last week. Um, and, I, and I try and play this path, which is, it's okay. <laughs> and you politely say it's rubbish. Um, and, but 99 of those, when I say vanilla, they do the job, right? They do do the job. They articulate what you want to articulate. They're on brand. They, you know, they generally have diversity inclusion covered. They've got all the forms on there. The, the um, integration with the uh, applicant tracking software is generally good. I've seen some horrible iframe windows, uh, which are horrific. Um, the link into, you know, work and whatever. But um, I, I think most of them have the bases covered. I'm yet to see something that reminds me of an ad campaign that I've never forgotten, like a gorilla playing the drums that sells chocolate, you know? Dairy milk. Yeah. So I, I actually, I saw one yesterday and it, the, the, it was very simple, but it had loads of content. It was very specific to different types of job roles within the company. Um, it brought, you know, women in tech in. It brought, it, it, was, it was very simple, but so effective. And Who's it really that? stood out, really stood out. Who did it? It was peak, actually. It was um, trusting to Lorenzo. It was, it was, it was definitely. They've gone, they've gone that step further. And and if you were a potential candidate looking into their world, you would absolutely have um, really understood. And I would have said, been intrigued to know more. Definitely. Well, on that note, Peak are joining us on our webinar coming up in a couple of weeks' time, uh, which is going to be great. So Lorenzo is joining us on our webinar to talk about exactly kind of this point. If you're a scale-up who's just recently um, you know, received uh, an investment or a series uh, a round of funding, how do you scale up? What models do you use? Do you do it yourself? Do you not do it yourself? Do you rely on recruitment? Do you re rely on partners? Um, if you're an enterprise, Mel, you're kindly joining us as well. Corey Archer from Collinson is going to be joining us. So we're really excited to have this kind of chat about different types of businesses and how they approach talent acquisition. Um, so that's going to be really exciting. So on that note, uh, Mel, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a really great hour. It's gone like so fast. Um, <laughs> and Sophie, as always, thank you very much. Um, we will look forward to seeing you all soon. Take care. Thanks, Thanks so much. very much. Cheers.